Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is the podcast where my wife and I discuss horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So <laughs> so tonight we are kicking off our month-long theme of the end of the world as we know it. So this is a theme <laughs> that was voted on by our patrons, and you know, I know that maybe... Not everybody is in the mood for apocalyptic thoughts, but, you know, this is the one that our patrons voted on. And to be fair to them, you know, we, we mostly gave them apocalyptic we, themes. We so. were in a very 2020 mood. A very 2020 mood when we made that list, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but so that is what we're going to be talking about this month. And to kick it off, we're going to be talking about the 1984 cult classic Night of the Comet. And this is a film that was written and directed by Tom Eberhardt, and it stars one of my favorite actresses in the genre, Kelly Maroney. But before we get into that, we have our usual spoiler-free content, where we go over releases for the week, and kind of what uh, you, the audience, thinks of the movie that we're talking about. So, uh, as far as releases go, you know, it's the first week of January, which means it's pretty empty, so... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there's really not a lot worth mentioning, so the one that I do want to point out is a film being dubbed as 37 Years in the Making, <laughs> which is the long-awaited, question mark, <laughs> uh, sequel to Grizzly, the 1976 film, which I actually love. I, I'm a huge fan of Grizzly. Yeah, you are. Because, well, because, you know, it, that movie was dubbed as Jaws with Paws, and <laughs> and it basically is that. You know, yeah. the original Grizzly is a 1976 film that is about a giant grizzly bear that's, you know, killing campers and stuff like that. And a bunch of rangers team up to go track it down and kill it. Uh, but it's a really, it's a really, I really like it. It's, I yeah. think it's a solid, creepy animals attack movie uh, with some surprisingly gruesome oh, yeah. <laughs> deaths and gore. I mean, even a kid gets a limb ripped off, which is just not <laughs> something you see in a lot of horror these days. You know, back in the 70s, they weren't fucking around. Like, no. <laughs> And keeping in mind too that the movie was rated PG at the time because we didn't what? have the well we didn't have the PG thirteen rating so you know it, it, there was a lot of stuff that uh, films got away with a lot more you know I mean Jaws was PG and Jaws has nudity and all of the shark violence that you see in that it's true and the way that they kind of got away with it was censors you know uh, or, or, or they would basically argue it as well it's animal violence not people violence you know so it's so it's okay <laughs> so it's more okay <laughs> you know? so. Don't know if that makes it true or not, but uh, but no, Grizzly's a good film. And so anyway, you know, it was it was a successful movie. Uh, definitely played well at the drive-in, I believe. And so then a sequel was begun in the 80s, uh, Grizzly 2 Revenge. And ultimately, it ran into a bunch of production issues. You can visit the film's website uh, to kind of read more about that. Or you can find our article on KillerHorrorCritic.com about it. But 
long story short, basically, producers dropped out. The other producers, including Suzanne Nagy, were just left with a whole mess to deal with. <laughs> a bunch of it was left unfinished. And because it was so terrible and unfinished and all that, the film mm. just ultimately petered out. And then over the years, there were bootleg copies of it that came out and, you know, nothing ever official. <laughs> so it's been it's been seen by some. It hasn't been seen by many people, though. Uh-huh. And, you know, a few years ago, Suzanne Nagy, the executive producer, decided to finish the film, add some more footage, and, and finally give it an official release. And so anyway... Chris and I have both seen Grizzly 2, and you will be able to see it by the time that you're listening to this on VOD and on Blu-ray. And uh, let me just say that it already has my vote for the best worst movie of the year. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is indeed a movie. I will give you that. Uh, But it's honestly, like, I think it's super fun for just how ridiculous it is. It's look if you're part of the troll two crowd, then I then I think that you'll really get a kick out of Grizzly two. It's not, it doesn't quite have that dialogue that's maybe quite as memorable as stuff from Troll two, no. but no. and it's not quite as bizarre as Troll two, but it is definitely a mess yes. and and an entertaining one because of how messy it is. So so I definitely do recommend giving it a shot if those are the kinds of movies that you're into because I, I know Chris and I certainly got a kick out of it. Oh yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that, those are your, your releases for the week. And so also something we do is every week on Twitter on at killer from space, we put up a poll kind of getting your feelings on the movie that we're talking about for the week and what you think. So between love it, it's fine. Don't like it and never seen it. Where do you think our audience falls on night of the comet? Oh, I don't know with this one. Like I really like it. So I want to say love it, but I'm going to weirdly hedge my bets and say never seen it. You really think so? I don't know. Uh, uh, this should uh, show you how out of touch Chris is with the I, horror community. <laughs> I am very... Uh, look, I'm a weird hobbit. I like you, watching my movies and playing with my toys. You are a weird hobbit. Uh, no, so 52% love it. Yay! Um, 30% say it's fine. 2% don't like it. And 16% have never seen it. So... I said still high percent for never seen it. It is. It's not the majority, <laughs> though. Um, <laughs> but no, Night of the Comet's a classic, uh, a cult classic. You know, people always like to argue about classic and cult classic, but it's a cult classic, and for good reason, you know, I, I think this is a really entertaining film, as, as I know you do, too. Yeah, I love this movie. So the results don't totally surprise me. You know, I'm actually... Uh, happy to see the don't like it only at two percent you know because it's it is a film that i really enjoy and so it's it's nice to see that you know the majority of us feel the same way but anyway so as far as some of your comments go again these are all from twitter uh at r underscore a underscore r underscore j underscore junior says when i was young and the whole 80s aesthetic wasn't so painful to behold (laughs) night of the comet was a cool break was a cool breakthrough black comedy slash horror film where the female protagonist led the charge, which was rare at the time. Uh, I look, I fucking love this aesthetic. Like, give me neon every day of the week and bright pinks and purples, and I am a happy camper. Like, I'm so glad that we started Apocalypse Month with this movie. Mm. And yeah, like, this film is all about the girls stepping up, kicking ass, taking names. Like, the dudes don't do a whole bunch in this movie, although Hector is amazing. Indeed. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, one one of, first of all, I just want to say, you know, not to argue with 
Rar Jr. here, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I love the 80s aesthetic. I think it's so... Th- this movie is such a great time capsule of that period. And uh, and as a huge like 80s film fan, I, I love just going back and reliving all of that through Night of the Comet. But but I do I also want to comment on the female protagonist because you know this is something that was a big deal at the time and you know frankly it's one of those things where it's like it shouldn't have to be a big deal you know like we should yeah. <laughs> we should have always had female protagonists in these kind of roles you know it shouldn't just be excluded to men um, or, or male identifying you know genders but it, it was it was unfortunately rare at the time to see something like this with two women just starring in what is essentially an action apocalyptic horror film and and they kick ass and they take names and (laughs) you know and and what's really pleasant about it that we'll get more into is neither of them is ever really afraid of the danger either you know like there's no there's no like women squealing in the corner and you know hoping someone come comes and helps them or something like that like we see in some of these movies uh with that awful stereotype you know instead (laughs) these women are just like they're like fuck you i'm gonna Fucking, fucking put a gun on my face and destroy you, man. Like. Fuck you guys. I The thing I really like about it is, yeah, we get these strong women, but we're also, a lot of times what we'll see in movies when we want strong women is they have more masculine traits. And these, these are teenage girls. These are fucking yeah. teenage girls through and through, and I love them so much for it. Right, and that's the other great thing, too, is, you know, as much as I love, you know, Linda Hamilton from The Terminator oh, or Sigourney Weaver and Aliens... You know, as much as I love them, they t- they do take on more masculine traits. And in this case, these two girls are are teenage girls through yes. and through. You know, like through and through. There there's not there's really not a lot of masculine quote unquote qualities about them. So so ultimately, they're just kick ass women, just yeah. being kick ass women. <laughs> I love them, uh, and it's great. So anyway, thank you, RJ, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next is at Tim1991X, and he says, Watch this recently during the Mutant Fam Midnight Marathon. Cinematography is great, and Maroney and Stewart are great, but the part with the bunker feels take- tacked on and a bit long. I don't know why they had to leave the city element. You know, for me, I kind of I kind of like the bunker moment. I get what you're saying. Like, it does feel a little bit disjointed from the rest of the movie because that's really when we get away from the neon. But I I think it gives more dimension to, like, our villain characters, if you will. And so I like it for that reason. Yeah, it's a bit of a messy end, but I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, so I actually don't think it's messy at all. Um, I, I I get what Tim's saying, you know, and... and the the city element is definitely the best part of the film, I think. Agreed. But, but you know, I think that the stuff that happens towards the finale, and again, we're not spoiling anything here, but the stuff that happens towards the finale, I think is necessary for this movie. Yes. And, and I think it adds a lot of extra weight to the film and, and really what's going on instead of just kind of leaving us oblivious, you know? I think it really helps accentuate the themes of the film. And I can't say much more than that right now because I don't want to spoil anything, but... <laughs> But anyway, thank you, Tim, for the comment. Really appreciate it. And lastly is at James Shannon Mo Two, uh, who said who who basically just wanted to ask us a question with this and say, you know, with other films out there like this, Return of the Living Dead and Killer Clowns from Outer Space, you know, kind of where do we rank Night of the Comet among horror comedies? For me, Night of the Comet is towards the top, just because look, I really like the aesthetics. I really like the characters with this. And honestly speaking, like 
apocalyptic films are kind of weirdly important to me because that's what got me into fashion. Mm. Um, and so cool apocalyptic films like this will always be towards the top of the list for me. Yeah, so, you know, honestly, I don't, no disrespect to James, I actually don't, and everyone else who thinks this, which is a lot of people, uh, I actually don't view Night of the Comet as a horror comedy. I, really? Yeah, I don't, because, you know, l- let me put it this way. So, Return of the Living Dead, very much a horror comedy. Yes. Because Return of the Living Dead is trying to make you laugh over and over and over and over again. You know, not nothing in Return of the Living Dead is taken seriously. Uh, the characters are all complete goofballs. Uh, you got zombies calling paramedics, you know. <laughs> and, and same with Killer Clowns from Outer Space. You know, I mean, we got shit like people being put in cotton candy balls and, you know, clowns boxing people. Like, it's, it, they're, they're basically insane, you know. Yeah. The thing with Night of the Comet is, I mean, I'm not saying it's not funny. It definitely is at times. But I really view it more as the the comedic elements are just, they're more just natural, you know? They're just coming naturally from the characters. And it's it never, basically what I'm trying to say is it never feels like the film is trying to make you laugh. It, It just, it happens naturally through the charm of the characters. And, you know, in particular, Kelly Maroney's character. And... You know, so I don't know if it's making any sense, but I just don't feel like I feel like the film's kind of a mix of genres. You yeah. know, it, I don't really define it as a horror comedy. To me, it's just I guess I would just say it's an apocalypse film. You know, <laughs> like just because I, I don't I don't get the sense that you're supposed to laugh all throughout. You yeah, know, yeah, I it's, get where you're coming from with it. Yeah. So again, I don't know if that makes any sense. Maybe I'm being too particular here, but. But I, I just feel like it's more it's more lighthearted because of the teenage characters and because of, you know, their attitude towards everything. But I don't I don't view it as the type of comedy like zombies calling paramedics and stuff yeah, like it's, that. <laughs> it's funny because the actors do a good job with what they're given, but it's not scripted to be a comedy the way that the other two are. Exactly. I don't think it's written to be like laugh out loud funny. You yeah. know? There are just some things that are a little quirky about it. It's just their actors are really funny. <laughs> exactly. So... <laughs> Uh, anyway, so before we get into spoilers, we also like to go over the, the tagline of the movie and do a little tagline versus the film here. So uh, the tagline for Night of the Comet was, it was the last thing on Earth they ever expected. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Night of the Comet overall? You know, with this tagline, like, it's okay, but I don't feel like it really captures the essence of this movie. I disagree. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I always disagree with you, but I disagree you on do. this one, too. So. <laughs> I'm weirdly finicky about taglines, though. You They're, weirdly are. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I'm having to think about it. And, like, if I just heard that tagline, I would not associate it with this film. Just, well, it's it's so much more, like, serious about the experience, whereas, like, this is a more fun apocalyptic film like you know i've said it a little bit already but like i really like this film because in a seascape of beige apocalyptic films you know this is neon and technicolor and i love that and i think that the characters are really fun and interesting and grounded and what so i have to do with the tagline <laughs> well because the tagline is just so like i don't know Right, so it doesn't me, catch the neon that is this film. So let me tell you where you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's new? <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's not wrong. You know, we're, we're all of our opinions on this stuff. But um, no. So the reason I think the tagline works is because, and I'm going to get a lot more into this once we can talk about spoilers, but 
to me, uh, you know, ultimately, Night of the Comet's a coming-of-age movie. Yes. It's not, it's, you know, it is a post-apocalyptic film, but really it's a coming-of-age film. That's ultimately what it is. And, you know, so when you have a tagline like, it was the last thing on Earth they ever expected, you know, it makes me think of where the character Regina is at when this movie begins, you know, played by Catherine Mary Stewart. And where she's at is she has just turned 18. You know, she's dealing with problems at home with, you know, her stepmom and and her dad not being around. And anyway, you know, it, it just makes me think back to, like, when we're all 18. Because before you hit a certain age, you kind of have this viewpoint of the world of, like, things will work out. Or, or you have basically Kelly Maroney's character, uh, Samantha. You have more of her kind of viewpoint of the world of... Kind of like this uh, ignorant bliss, you know? Yeah, everything's <laughs> going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Your biggest problem is who's taking you to prom, you know, or, yeah. or something like that. And, you know, it's once you once you turn 18 and once you start kind of getting more out of the house and becoming your own adult and kind of seeing life in the world for what it really is, you know, it is unexpected how much the world just punches you in the face. <laughs> Constantly. And it's like... And it's like Welcome to my universe, bitch, you know? And it just... <laughs> there, Fuck you. There's like this... There's. I feel like there's this defining moment that happens with all of us as we grow up where you suddenly snap out of that blissful ignorance of what life is and you suddenly accept like, oh shit, responsibility. Uh, I'm going to die someday, you know? Like, kids. Like, you know, you start... You start having to accept what becoming an adult actually means. And it means that, you know, your pants are around your ankles now and <laughs> and the world is gonna let you have it, you know, and that's <laughs> and so so that line to me just works for what this movie is because it is none of us expect that feeling. We all grow up listening to adults tell us things like, Enjoy your time while you're a kid, you know, because you're gonna you're going to hate being an adult. And you're like, nah, fuck you. I can't wait to drink and, you know, hang out all night at bars. And and then you can become an adult and you're like, fuck, I wish I was still 13, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, that's where I'm coming from with that. I, I think it works in that sense of how unexpected we suddenly are thrown into life, you know? You know, I think, I think it, you bring up some really good points. And I think it's going to be really fun to talk about this film because I think ultimately you're an older sibling and mm. I am a younger sibling. And that's kind of the dividing mentality in this film. And so I think that I am coming at that tagline more from a Samantha point of view. Just because you're the younger sibling doesn't mean you're still 16 years old, though. <laughs> no, but everything will be fine. <laughs> okay, but maybe you are, is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, all right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to spoil the crap out of this film for you. Uh, it is not streaming that I know of, unfortunately, so... Uh, so if you've never seen it before, I do recommend renting it. I actually think it's a great film that Definitely is worth well it. worth your time. So, um, but all right, so we'll take a quick break and we'll be back in a second to spoil Night of the Comet. <laughs> if you've been enjoying Killer Horror Critic, please make sure to head to iTunes and leave a review and rating as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me. Also make sure to check out my Patreon where you can receive access to exclusive content such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com 
slash killer horror critic. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. All right, and we're back here discussing the 1984 film Night of the Comet, written directed by Tom Everhart, who I didn't mention before. Uh, also did a film called Soul Survivor, which is a pretty interesting one uh, about this woman who survives an accident and has like dead people coming after her. But <laughs> damn, <laughs> check that out if you can. But so as usual, we like to start off with you know getting into the characters here. So you know we have kind of an eclectic class. Uh, uh, we have kind of an eclectic cast here of, you know, Regina, played by Catherine Mary Stewart, her younger sister, Samantha, played by Kelly Maroney, uh, the guy Hector that they meet, played by Robert Beltran, others. We're going to be spoiling this movie now, just a reminder. <laughs> so, again, if you haven't seen it, go rent it uh, before listening to the rest of this. But who is someone that you want to talk about in Night of the Comet? So, I feel like I have to talk about Samantha because, like, I fucking loved her from the first moment that we see her. And she goes to get her stepmom, and she just, like, lazily, like, rolls across the back of the couch. Like, bitch doesn't even get up. She just rolls across. And, look, I am a younger sibling. In that moment, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get you. I 100% understand where this character is coming from. It's still you. (laughs) It's still me, yes. I very often will just roll over the back of the couch. Mm. Look, I... I fucking love Samantha. And it's it's really nice because I feel like sometimes in horror films, it's tough writing a younger sibling and writing them well. And how she is in this film and um, Kelly's performance of her is so much fun. Because, like, as a younger sibling, like, I get where she's coming from with all of this. Like, the snark and the attitude and the bravado that she has in this entire thing. Like, I fucking love her. Like, she stands up to everything. She throws fucking shoes at a dude with a machine gun. And for me, it's all coming from that, like, younger sibling mentality. Like, you want to prove to everybody else that you're as grown up, you're as adult as them. You want their attention. But at the same time, like, you can't deal with, you know, big things like what they're dealing with with in this film the way that Regina can. Mm. Like... Because, look, I know for me, like, I was fucking protected by my older brother. Like, I mean, not literally because my brother and I aren't super close. But, like, you know, you as a younger sibling, you kind of trust in your older sibling to, like, look out for you. So, yeah, Sammy's not super worried about the end of the world. She's processing it differently and on a different timeline. And I just think she's so fucking awesome and kick-ass and snarky. And I love her. And what's interesting to watch between her and Regina is our two main protagonists in this is that, you know, Sam doesn't accept what's going on. Like, she no. has, you know, I, I really love the sequence where where Regina returns home from the theater and there's all the, you know, dead corpses. Well, not corpses, but the the empty the dust. clothes, the dust all over the street that used to be people uh, celebrating their fucking comet party, which, <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't even know if... <laughs> I don't even know if the world would participate in a party like that these days. I feel like people are so whatever about everything that <laughs> there might be some people that go out to watch the comet and the rest of us would just be fucking sitting on Facebook or Twitter or something, like I, tweeting about the comet that we're not watching. Uh, so. Considering the pe- fact that people have had coronavirus parties, I'm pretty sure any excuse to party is going to get people in the streets. Ah, uh, fair enough. I guess. I guess what I'm saying is, I feel like the vast majority of people don't care about things like comets. Oh no, they don't know? give a fuck about the comet. They just want to drink. Right. So. So anyway. So you know, once Regina's showing her all that stuff, like Sam just kind of 
you know, closes the door on her, keeps making her breakfast, and it's just, it's just acting like none of this is real, you know? And that, that felt very real to me because, you know, like you said, I, I was the older sibling uh, between me and my sister, and there are a lot of moments like that where, you know, you feel like you have, even if you're wrong about it, you feel like you have some better understanding of the world yeah even if you're just a year or two older like i was you know i was two years older than or am two years older than my sister even that little amount of time you feel like you know so much more (laughs) (laughs) Uh, especially when you hit 18 and they're still in high school and you're not you know and so so it it really feels natural when regina starts taking on this mindset of trying to convince sam of no we're in the post-apocalyptic we're of no, we're in the post-apocalypse, motherfucker. You know, like this, <laughs> this shit is real. Like, here's our stepmom, this pile of dust. You know, yeah. And that's what I love about Regina, and why I actually kind of feel like I relate to her is that G- Regina's kind of more of the realist. You know, like she, there, there's a sense of hope with her in the sense that, you know, I think that she thinks that they. I don't know how to say it. I think that she thinks that they will get through this together in the best way that they can. Uh-huh. You know, like she's not necessarily afraid of the end of the world in the sense that they won't be able to take care of themselves. It's more just that it's the end of the world, you know, like that. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but she's more she's more of a realist. She's the one who is being honest about the situation where Sam is just not, no. you know, so, <laughs> No, Sam Sam deals with it in her own way. And I honestly think that, like, both of the sisters have their breakdown moments. Regina has hers when it kind of hits that Larry got eaten by the mutant. And she goes into the bathroom and she has her moment. And I honestly think that Samantha's is the more emotional one. Because she has that whole kind of, you know, they're talking about school. She's talking about her friends, and really, that's her moment that she's really come to, coming to terms with the fact that her world is is over and everything like that. And I think that that moment is another reason why I like Sam, and I like her as a younger sibling, because it's that moment where she's coming to terms with what's going on, but you don't really want your older sibling to, like, pity you or look down on you. You want to be just as tough as they are, but... This shit's fucking scary. Everybody's gone. Like, it's depressing. And it's, you know, that was the moment that I really loved Sam because, like, that's our emotional moment with her. You know, that's her coming to terms. And it does take her longer to get to that point. Like, Mm. no amount of, you know, Regina kind of, like, shoving in her face because, like, like, we know as younger siblings, every time our older sibling tries to tell us the truth of the world, no, fuck that. We just dig our heels in and ignore it for well, longer. Well, yeah, listen, my sister didn't even listen when I told her Santa Claus wasn't real, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she thought I was lying to her. She thought I was making it up. Hey, older siblings are always lying. Never trust them. Never. No, older siblings are always right. No. Um, <laughs> they're like the customer. They're always right. But no, so let me ask you this. You know, why, before we get into like what, you know, the the, the way that the tropes are kind of flipped with these girls, why do you think that with... With slashers, it's always, um, you know, it's always women in the main role, but they're typically, you know, kind of the more, like, virginal, withdrawn, quote-unquote, innocent types, right? Mm -hmm. And in post-apocalyptic movies, it's almost always, like, big, tough men, you know, like Kurt Russell in Escape (laughs) from New York or, or, or Mel Gibson in Mad Max, right? It's always people like that. 
So why do you think that is, and and what what stood out immediately to you with these girls and and them kind of taking on more of that role in this movie? Oh, look, this is one of the things that I love. I really love about this film is yeah i feel like in most post-apocalyptic films and a lot of zombie films it's always a dude because there's this assumption that like when shit needs to get done you need a tough dude because he's going to be able to make the tough decisions and there's really this weird focus on on masculinity in those roles and with this yeah they they looked at how other people would deal with the apocalypse. And they didn't try to take these girls who were teenagers and try to make them tough. To your point in the beginning of this thing, this is a coming of age story, you know, for these girls. And so I think it's really cool that they they took them and they looked at all of these other dudes and went, yeah, but that's not how a teenage girl is going to react. So let's do that story. Well, right. And it's really what makes, you know, Night of the Comet stand out so much uh especially for a film made in 1984 is it really did just flip all of those tropes of like you know your standard kurt russell escape from new york type character right and here you've got two teenage girls <laughs> taking on the end of the world and for me honestly the the thing that you know stands out the most about it, it isn't just the fact that they're teenage girls dealing with teenage problems you know um it's the fact that they just barely flinch with it. And, <laughs> you know, they're human. They have their emotional moments like we talked about, like with, with both Regina and Sam kind of having their separate breakdowns, right? But, but you know, they're, they're inspiring to watch. Maybe Regina and Sam don't always know exactly what to do, but they don't have that freak-out moment. They, they really are those snake plissken and mad max type <laughs> characters you know like they they are that in the sense that they they handle themselves well they're not afraid to take on uh the issue and the only thing i will add though is that you know it still has that kind of 1984 um, male writing women tinge to it right <laughs> where it's like you know the girl <laughs> The girls are still, most of their conversations between each other are still about boys. boys. And <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I imagine, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure teenage sisters talk about boys and stuff, but there's, there's other things besides boys, especially, especially in the apocalypse is when there? most men are dead. Yes. <laughs> you know, here's my thing is like, I feel like the sisters are so unflinching because like we kind of get a little bit with it with their parents, like. As far as I can tell, these girls have just kind of been left to raise themselves. Well, they have been because the well, so this is the other thing too is this movie touches on the a trope which I frankly can't stand, but I also get the logic of it, and, and it applies to both men and women. But you see it more often with women is whenever there's a teenager in movies like this that is good at anything combat wise, you know, whether it be weapons or fighting or anything like that mm -hmm. there's always a military dad in the picture <laughs> you know who was i who how was else could she learn well <laughs> but that's the thing is that there's always a military dad who either was there or is there you know and and that's like how they learned everything right and then and, you realize they were never going to be boys never going to go to ranger school and then he just vanished well right and i love <laughs> and i love that too you know that <laughs> 
that's like a nice little nudge at uh the the fragility of men right in the sense <laughs> in the sense that you got this big tough military dad who's all like i'm gonna teach you about weapons and being tough and blah blah but then as soon as he's like uh, my girls are really girls and not boys. Like, man, I can't handle this. I have to go run off to war now, you know? <laughs> uh, so just, it, it, but it's a trope that always makes me laugh because it's like, you know, there, there are so many people that, you know, know this stuff or learn this stuff on their own. You don't need some military dad figure no, you in could the just picture. Be interested. For, right. For, for women to know how to do this stuff, you don't need the military dad explanation. Right. I mean, yeah. look at. Look at look at fucking Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street, you know? Nancy doesn't know how to set her house full of traps. You know what she does? She goes to the fucking library and researches <laughs> that shit. <laughs> and I, I understand that, you know, you're not going to have Regina and Sam just automatically know how to use automatic weapons and stuff. But, you know, again, they don't they don't need a, a, a male figure in their life to have taught them how to do it. So there, there's yeah. little things like that that stand on where it's like this is a very feminist uh, post-apocalyptic film. There's still a little issue here and there, though. Yeah. (laughs) Just a few. I'm not sure if I would consider this an issue or not, but I'm curious what your take on, like, we don't have zombies in this film. We have mutants. So, like, as the professional horror fan, what's your take on the mutants? Are they good? Uh, Are they bad? I have varying takes on the mutants. I, You know, (laughs) so, first of all, the... The actual appearance of the mutants, I like. I, I think it's different. I, I kind you, of like the... The sunken eyes. The sunken eyes and, and the dead eyes in some cases, you know. I love the fact that they can talk and that they're intelligent, you know, as intelligent as these decaying mutants can be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it gives the film kind of a, a Last Man on Earth vibe, which, you know, is a film adaptation of I Am Legend, which is a great story about the guy who's like the last man on Earth fighting vampire mutant people. <laughs> Uh, but so it gives it kind of that vibe having them be more intelligent like that while they're just rotting away. Like, I really love that kind of stuff. And it makes them scarier, too, because you're not just fighting, you know, mindless Miss zombies. Right. The the thing what I find interesting about them is, one, I, I'm not quite sure how it works because <laughs> I, they, they kind of there's kind of a throwaway line of, you know, oh, well, they've been exposed to it. It's like, well, OK, the people outside. um, they were obviously most exposed to it, I guess, so they instantly disintegrated. Instant dust. But it also kind of sets up the concept that people inside became dust immediately, too. Because I don't imagine that literally every single person in Los Angeles was on the streets during the comet. And yet they're and, no, they're not. And yet they're all <laughs> gone. So so you know, I, I can't really say that being in the house would protect you unless you were surrounded by steel like Regina or Sam was. Yeah. So then I have to ask myself just like, how, how are you How are you a little bit exposed, but you live? That's that. I get how it works with the scientists in the bunker. Mm-hmm. In this case, though, I'm a little, a little confused on how they <laughs> started their mutant progression. <laughs> I'm going to say with this film, you really don't want to examine the science too closely because you're just going to find so many fucking holes with it. No, yeah, that would oh, be a mistake. Yeah. What I will say is, like, my, you know, when it comes to Apocalypse, my favorite thing with this film is, like, this this film has such a lightness about everything, and a large part of that has to do with the neon. But when it comes to the mutants, I like the fact that they are basically, like, our dark aspect of the Apocalypse. We don't have any heroes going around going, I gotta kill everybody, and blah, 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 blah. Instead, we have... 
people who used to be human who are slowly changing and I think that's really cool with this film because like I think it's a very accurate portrayal of how humanity would react in an apocalypse and that's what I think the mutants are is the people who slowly lose their humanity like my best example for it is um the dude that they meet in the mall like where he shoots his own dude and he's changing he's not fully like mindless yet he's not dust yet but Mm. he has that line of I'm not I'm not crazy I just don't give a fuck and I think that's what we're seeing with the mutants is that it's all of them like slowly losing their humanity to the point where they don't give a shit about anybody else except for what they care about. Well, which apparently for that dude is getting paid for his clothes. Well, they all well they all lose their humanity, but you know, something else that's really interesting about the mutants in this is did you realize the fact that there is not a single there is okay, I, let me think of a way to phrase this. There there's Really not a single female mutant. I know. Now, that's not to say that no women in this become mutants because, you know, you have you have uh, Audrey White, the doctor, played by Mary Warnoff, who's obviously becoming a mutant, and there are other female scientists who have been infected. Uh-huh. But what you never see is a transformed female mutant. Yeah. And, and so when I kind of started thinking about that, I'm looking at, like, what... I'm looking at the, the types of mutants that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And you know you've got you've got the homeless mutant in the opening. You have the uh, the the authority police mutants. Uh, you have a bunch of rapey stock boys. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm kind of seeing like with this too is it, it goes back to that coming of age sort of theme that I take with Night of the Comet, which is these girls again. They're they're being exposed to like elements outside their safe little teenage lives, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, like they're now. Granted, it's a little, you know, um, it's a little not politically correct to have this homeless guy <laughs> be like a villain, right? You know, if if you're thinking yeah. of it in those terms, uh, but but in their minds, you know, what what would they be afraid of first coming into the world? They're gonna be afraid of weird, crazy homeless dudes in the alley. They're gonna be afraid of cops that they suddenly realize are maybe not, not always great. good. Uh, they're they're gonna be nervous about these dudes who are just trying to get in their pants you know <laughs> like there, there's all these elements that come into it the, the government and the scientists like they become a villain towards the end mm-hmm. there, there's all of these just realizations of the the darker side of the world that you just don't think about when you're a kid yeah you know <laughs> i i think that's very accurate i guess for me like like i'm gonna rate it as like it's mainly dudes turning and that's because I feel like one of the tropes we get, especially in apocalyptic horror films and stuff, is generally it's about a lot of selfish dudes who just mm. want whatever they can get and they only care about themselves. And, you know, our sisters are the antithesis of that. Like, they care about each other. They're about family. They don't, they care. Uh, I don't know if they're about family. They're about each other. <laughs> they're about each other. Like, well, I mean, to them, like, they are each other's only family. They don't view their stepmom as family. And their dad abandoned them in their eyes. Like, he's not really family anymore. It's just them. Although, having said that, I will say Regina's a terrible sister. Just terrible sister. What? I you, disagree. You do not abandon your sister. You don't go off in a helicopter she's without her. She's not a terrible her. sister. She's a dumb sister. They, they should... Again, they're teenagers. You got the government showing up being like, hey, here's the problem. We're going to take you to safety. And 
they, the government's got helicopters and scientists. They're, they're not thinking anything you of it. You don't like, leave gotta... your sister behind. Bad older sister. Of course. No. Bad mistake of her. Doesn't make her a terrible older sister, though. But, you know, I mean, the other thing I think about it, too, is, like, what I think is interesting about the mutants that we don't see in in a lot of other films like this is that the the mutants are kind of a play. And I stretch kind of. They're <laughs> They're kind of a play on old age as well because you know one key thing that's going on with the mutants is their their memories disintegrated yeah you know kind of like kind of like what happens to you as you get older you start your memory starts to go right and so that just kind of adds on to i think this idea of youth versus the other generations you know i mean this is very much like night of the comets really you know youth versus the older generation kind of movie that's really what it is i mean again you got two teenage girls just being teenagers uh-huh. and usually with post apocalyptic movies especially in nine by 1984 that that just wasn't the main character you didn't you didn't have teenagers leading those roles right uh, again they were like older buff dudes and stuff like that so having this kind of perspective it, it feels like you know this kind of anti-government anti authority anti just anti everything not teenager (laughs) uh kind of movie and so i kind of love that you know the mutants and in my mind are kind of representative of that older generation that maybe you could even say has kind of fucked everything up for them you know which i definitely which i think is how every generation feels about the one that came before it is just (laughs) you motherfuckers screwed up (laughs) fuck you guys you know, I mean, if you live in America right now and you're a part of our generation, you're oh. looking at older generations like, what the fuck are you doing? Fuck you. <laughs> fuck the old people. Okay, so generation stuff is kind of a big aspect of this film. So how how do you feel like the film depicts the different generations and what are your kind of, I guess, your thoughts on the ending of everything? I hate the ending. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm gonna be honest. I do which, not like the ending. Which ending? The final ending. So here, here's the thing. I, I love uh, I love Sam getting to meet DMK and drive off with him into the sunset. You know, this guy that Regina just irrationally hates because he had a higher score than her on an arcade game. Look, if you but, run the entire board on an arcade game and some motherfucker thinks that he can take your spot, dude gets, you got to take him down. Them's just the rules. Oh, of course. And it's what I love about Regina is that she doesn't take no shit, right? No. She's very competitive. And I, I think it's great. But um, so, no, I like that part of it because that's funny, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's kind of like a fun little thing to, to end on. But I do kind of hate the ultimate ending of it because I, I get what they're doing. I get that the film wants to have this kind of hopeful sort of vibe to it, right? Of like, oh, we're going to we're going to repopulate the earth and, uh, you know, the, the earth is on our shoulders, which, again, it plays into that idea of the the generation coming out of youth and into being adults is yeah. you take on that responsibility of like, okay, now it's my turn to kind of carry things on. Although they've uh, conveniently forgotten all the animals are dead. Well, <laughs> there's no food. There's no animals left. Well, I mean, yes, the, the ignorance is bliss part, right? <laughs> is that, uh, they're probably not going to be very successful at repopulating the earth. No, they're going to die. <laughs> the thing that I don't like though, is the the movie does have just this whole youth element to it, you know, with mm-hmm. all the neon and everything, uh, and the whole theme of it. It has that youth element to it, but the end with Regina, who is this character that like seems like she's a total rebel, wants nothing to do with 
you know, marriage and commitment and she's a big nerdy gamer and, you know, there's just like very independent kind of person. She's 18. She's ready to be out on her own and say fuck it to her stepmom and just leave, you know. She has all those qualities and yet the ending with her just suddenly like having this little family with Hector and the two kids, it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it feels like that typical American you have to... Yep. You know, becoming an adult means you got to have marriage and kids and, you know, like you're not an adult until you have that. And so it just it, it's like this weird sort of, uh, I don't know, like hypocritical message. Yep. Maybe maybe hypocrisy is not the right word, but it, it, it feels like it it rubs the wrong way against the rest of the theme. Right. You mean you don't like Regina kind of ending things with going, but the burden of civilization is upon our shoulders. It doesn't feel accurate. It doesn't feel like Regina. And and yeah. I think she's joking in that moment. I think she's trying to be sarcastic. But the whole the whole thing of it of like, we do not cross the streets, you know, we must rebuild civilization. Like it's fun, but it just kind of makes me go like, No, Regina is not settling down. Yeah. This is the fucking apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, that's my major issue too. Like for me. Okay, look, Night of the Comet is always going to have a special place in my heart because for me it's very similar to this television show I loved as a kid. It's a New Zealand show called The Tribe, which was about a disease that wiped off all the adults and all the teenagers had to figure shit out. And I loved that because, like, watching teens try to problem solve is the most hilarious thing ever. Like, because they just don't know shit. And they're petty and they're dramatic and, like, that's what's fun about watching. That's what's fun about watching this is the fact that, like, like Regina and Sammy get into a fight over Hector. Like, that's a thing that happens where Sammy's just like, you swiped the last man on Earth. Like, how could you? Mm. You bitch. Like, and it, it's a thing for me with this ending that, yeah, you've spent the entire movie having Sammy and Regina, like, rebel against the older generation, fight fight these fucking blood-sucking scientist motherfuckers. And then, like, you're gonna have Regina end up in a church outfit? Like, have you seen what she's been wearing the rest of this film? Like, it's yeah. amazing. And she's yeah. gonna end up in an ugly-ass, like, adult dress? Like, get fucked. Yeah, no, it, it feels like kind of a middle finger to anyone rooting for Regina, right? Like, yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I mean, some of, us, some of us are gonna look at that and be like, oh, that's so happy they made a little family together, but... I think it's it's just the idea, especially when you're 18, I think, you know, of you just look at that and you're like, no, she's too young for that. Like, yeah. don't, don't fucking settle down and throw away whatever life you have left for for this traditional idea of family. Like, you know, that's not what this is about. Well, even within that, like, look, I mean, the kids need guidance and stuff like that. A hundred percent adopt the kids in. But like, just because you're looking after more younger people doesn't mean you have to be a fully fledged adult. Like, right. I get the fact that you're the last people around, but, like, the fuck it, you're the last kids in Los Angeles. Like, I want to see y'all, like, driving up the streets and spray painting and going crazy the way that kids it, should. It's kind of like sugarcoating over the fact, too, that this whole family is going to become very incestual at some point because oh, yeah. <laughs> they have to procreate, right? No, there's no animals. They're going to starve. Uh, well, yes, they're gonna, they'll probably starve before that, but yeah. let's be real here. That's what's going to eventually happen. Um... The, 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 thing I, the thing I'll give it credit for, though, is I also I do like that it's an interracial kind of family at the end, mm -hmm. which to me sort of signifies like the, the changing America. 
Um, Which would be nice if Regina wasn't mildly racist towards Hector when she first meets him. She does feel that way, um, which I, I didn't want to bring it up because I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to accuse Regina of being racist off of a few offhanded it's, comments. You but... know, it's microaggressions. <laughs> She's very microaggressive. It's meso- microaggressive. Hector, yeah. Well, okay, so let's move on. So, the, you know, you met, we keep mentioning the scientists, and, and I. Aside from all of the like youth commentary, I mean, what do you think this film's saying about science itself? Because there's definitely a lot going on here with, you know, <laughs> kind of how the scientists are handling the end of the world and how our teenagers are treating them. <laughs> I I feel like this movie has more something to say on scientists than science because this movie was just like fuck science. Oh, uh, because um, a lot of a lot of it doesn't work. Like, what happened to the ocean? Is it just full of zombies now? Like, are there just zombie sharks in the ocean because they weren't fully exposed to the comet? Yeah, probably. Think about that nightmare. <laughs> oh, imagine zombie jellyfish just, like, slapping you with their tentacles. Pretty horrific. Yep. Hey, um, I feel like this movie is more, like, about just, like, fuck scientists that ostensibly don't use their knowledge for good. Because, basically, our group of scientists are assholes. They're pretty sure that this comet's dangerous. They're pretty sure that it's not gonna go well. And like, do they do they try to change anything? Do they try to save anybody or talk about anything? No, they just fucking bunker down. And then the motherfuckers are so fucking stupid that they leave the ventilation shaft open, so they all get minorly exposed. And how do these fuckers deal with their mistake instead of like owning up to the fact that like? Okay, they didn't do the science right, but maybe they could help survivors. No, they're goddamn vampires. <laughs> so I think it, it. Look, here's the thing. I think it's more a commentary on. Uh, I think it's more a commentary on leadership than it is science itself. Because I, I don't, I don't consider the movie to be anti-science. You know, no, I <laughs> just people uh, in scientific power. Sure. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> you know, I, I don't think the movie's anti-science. I know I'm not anti-science. No. You know. <laughs> Uh, but who knows? Maybe it is anti-science. You know, we're we're learning in America that a lot of people are, are apparently anti-science. Um, I'm pro-science, but, but I'm anti-science vampires. Yes, anti-science vampires is the way to go. <laughs> um, we should make a button out of it. But <laughs> but no, I feel like it's I feel like it's a commentary on again just the way that the older generation handles things compared to the youth. Because you know, if you're if you're not a teenager, just think back to when you were a teenager and like how you felt about older generations and how they handle things, you know, and this movie is just really a big fucking middle finger to all of that because (laughs) you have these scientists and they represent the last of government, the last of authority, yeah, you know, and, and what do they do? Like every other movie that takes place in the post-apocalypse, the government, anything that represents government or that kind of organization is fucking corrupt and evil every single time. There's never the government in these movies where they find them in the post-apocalypse and they're like this great, beautiful, peaceful place where everyone gets along wonderfully. No, there's always an asshole in charge. There's always assholes making life difficult for everybody else or being selfish and taking blood out of teenagers (laughs) like in this movie. And so when you look at this, you know, we talked about a bit of like government incompetence and stuff with uh, some of our topics last month, and it's the same thing here. You have these scientists who are supposed to be the brightest minds in the world, yep. and they fucking leave the ventilation shaft open during yeah. this, you know? Like, like, the number one thing you shouldn't do during an event like this, they do that. 
so they seem to have not taken any of the proper precautions uh, in dealing with this. It's kind of speaking on the fact that authority doesn't always know what they're doing or what they're talking about. And and the the thing that really stuck out to me and why I why I truly believe this kind of uh, anti-government, anti-authority uh, kind of message of the movie is you have the line where where Audrey is talking with Samantha right before she gives her the shot, and Samantha says something like, um, "We had a couple of geniuses in our school. They were wimps, you know." I and- <laughs> fucking love that line so much. Right. And for dorks like myself, I might be like, well, I'm smart. I'm not a wimp, you know, but but what it's really saying there is it's just it's just speaking to the fact that, like, you know, there are people who put themselves in charge or who get to places of power and then they're just fucking cowards. Yeah. You know, there's wimpy cowards who, like, have all these other people do things for them. (laughs) Well, that's the big thing for me is, like, these these scientists, these, like, high intellectuals, whatever, they they feel like they should not pay for the mistake that they made. Like, that's mm. my big thing with this. Like, to what we were talking about with the generational stuff, it's this weird belief that because they perceive themselves to be older or smarter, they are more deserving of life than mm. the kids. They don't care about killing the kids or anything else. Like, they want the fucking blood so they right. can make their serum so that they can keep on living even though they made a tactical error. And while, like, did Regina know that she was going to be safe from the comet because she was fucking in the, in the booth? No! But she is, and you don't get her blood just because you're a stupid fucking scientist. Fuck you guys. Stupid. Exactly. So, um, e- Except for Audrey. Audrey's amazing. Audrey is amazing. Yeah, she's so fucking badass. I mean, to your point, like the women in this movie are just so fucking cool. Like, Audrey, out of all the scientists, even though it wasn't her fault, takes responsibility. She goes, well, you know, we left the ventilation shafts open. Like, I'm deteriorating. I can save this girl, and I'm going to. Fuck you, George. I'm going to shoot you in the face. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so last thing I want to make sure we talk about before we wrap up here is, you know... We always uh, this is another thing we always see in post apocalypse movies, which is this kind of this kind of need for some kind of normalcy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually like straight up mentioned a couple times here. Like you see in other films like Dawn of the Dead, where you've got the sequence with you know everyone going to the mall and shopping and having a good time, right? Uh, almost every apocalypse movie has a fucking mall sequence in yeah. it. Uh, we love malls. Sure, but but the thing that's different here is that they're actually commenting on the fact that the mall or the radio station are places of normalcy, right? Um, like there's kind of a anti-consumerism sort of message here where, you know, they, they know where to find the girls. Cause they're saying like, this is like the consumer uh, Mecca over in this part of LA. Right. Um, and, and there's also the mention of the radio station where they say the girls will stay there. Cause it's a link to normalcy. Why, why do you think that's so important in the apocalypse? And like, you know, even though our pandemic currently is maybe not an apocalypse, hopefully, uh, you know, how, how do you kind of see yourself like relating to these girls in that sense with how they just want to find some kind of normalcy? Why do we do that in these situations? Because uh, I think we need it. Uh, I mean, first off, what I'm going to say is like when it comes to apocalypse movies, I 100 percent judge your apocalypse movie by how you handle this scene. Because, okay. yeah, to your point, almost every post-apocalyptic film 
usually has a scene where they get that moment of normalcy, whether it's running through a grocery store, which is what we got with 28 Days Later, or it's malls or what have you. Like, there's always that moment, that comfort moment. And I 100% judge your film. If you do not do a good job with this film, I'm fucking done with you. Um, And this one does a great job. And in terms of normalcy, like, look, their world has fallen to shit. Like, they they have nothing to hold on to. There's no parents. There's no authority figures. There, there's nothing to ground you. And I feel like when that happens, like, any little thing that you can hold on to that, like, helps ground you and give you hope that, like, okay, you're never going to get back to the way that life was before, but having that one little moment, like, it's like recharging your batteries, like, look. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's why, um, <clears throat> I think it's why, like, our generation is such a generation driven by nostalgia. You know, like, you look at, like, look at how popular Funko is, right? What is Funko? Mm-hmm. What Funko is not driven by kids. Funko is driven by people our age. Yeah. You know, Funko is driven by people in their 20s <laughs> and 30s, uh, the success of them. Because we all just want these action figures that represent the nostalgia of our childhood, right? Yeah. And I think a part of that reason is, like, you know, I can't speak on other generations, but I know that for ours, it's been a, it's been a pretty big shit show. You know, yeah. it's, <laughs> like we talked about this on another episode where I think it's been ever since uh, ever, ever since you and I were maybe 12, 13. Mm. You know, we've been at war yep. through 9-11 and like we've really never known anything since, you know, like it's just been cut, not, the, the the government's completely split. No one does. No one gets anything done anymore. Can't afford houses. Um, can't afford to get married. Can't afford to have kids. There's no jobs. Right. Basically, <laughs> life is crap. And you can't know, afford a house, but I can afford a ten dollar piece of plastic. Right. So life is crap. So you know, I think I think because of that, we're all driven towards this nostalgia of like this time when we were kids because it was a better time. You know. Yeah. And that sort of that sort of normalcy. It's like a, it has a psychological effect of just helping you deal with issues that are kind of beyond your control or beyond your acceptance, you know? It gives you a mental break. Yeah, a mental break's a good way to put it. It, it just, it lets you feel like, it it lets you feel like it's not all completely over, you know? Because it, because if you don't have that, then I think you just go through a total snap (laughs) of just like... (laughs) I'm just like, well, that's it. Uh, we're all going to be eaten by mutant zombies, and I guess I'll just wait here until they get me. You know, I just lay on the roof of the car. Right, but by having something like the radio station or the mall or whatever, or going shopping and trying on clothes, like it, it, it lets you allow yourself to kind of trick yourself into thinking that it's still like it was, just a little bit different, right? Yeah. Look, I would give anything right now to be able to have a dress-up party while girls just want to have fun plays on in the background. That'd be amazing right now. We all would. Who doesn't Who doesn't want to just get dressed up in fancy clothes while that plays? <laughs> exactly. Like, so it's, you know, for me, like, it's another thing of the older generation just, like, not understanding what the younger generation needs. Like, they, they throw it off as trivial of, like, oh, of course the girls are going to be in the mall. And they think of it as, like... Well, because then the mall was never anything important. Yeah. You know, because keep in mind... By 1984, I mean, the mall, malls themselves had only been around for, I think, less than a decade. Oh, really? Yeah, well, maybe, okay, maybe not less than a decade, but I know that, I know that Dawn of the Dead was filmed with the first mall ever made. Like, mall, mm-hmm. let me put it this way, malls were relatively new. Oh, like right. the Like, the big shopping malls, that was a relatively new thing. Maybe not, 
maybe not by 1984. We I think they've been around for more than a decade then, but um, but it still wasn't like we hadn't had it for. It wasn't like our generation where malls have been around for half a century. <laughs> well, and malls, I feel like we were really important to our generation. Right. So these people that are in their 50s and 60s in this movie as scientists, they didn't have that. that That's makes the me, point. <laughs> that makes me so depressed for them that they don't understand the magic that is the mall. There, There's a beauty in being able to just go and having a moment with your sister. Like, I, th- I think we all need that. Uh, all right. With all that, we're already going over time, so we got to wrap up here. So who's your killer idiot of Night of the Comet? Oh, fucking scientists. What kind All of, in- of them? Yeah, what kind of fucking intellectual scientist leaves the ventilators over open when they're worried about a comet? Like, fuck you, y'all deserve to die. To be fair to them, I don't think that they knew that the comet <laughs> was going to send a bunch of particles through the vents. Look, if, <laughs> if you're worried enough to go into an underground bunker... You just shut that fucking ventilation system off. I mean, yes, look, I'm not saying that it was the right idea to keep it open, but I am saying I don't know how well they could have predicted that the comet was going to disintegrate everybody and send zombie-making particles through the vents. (laughs) That's just something that they don't really teach you to prepare for in science school. (laughs) Oh, science school. Science school. (laughs) That's Uh, that's where these scientists went. That's why they didn't know to close the ventilators. Yeah, they should have gone somewhere else besides (laughs) science Science school. school. Uh, uh, Real credited college. Yeah, they they give you your degree and it's made in crayons. Um... (laughs) But, but, but no. So, okay. Yeah. Well, my killer idiot's also the scientist. See? But, you know, and yes, for that reason. But it's also just like, and you can't even stop a couple of teenagers. There's like 40 of you in this bunker. You can't stop a couple of kids from escaping. Like, how bad are, how bad are these people at, frankly, everything they're doing? (laughs) I, to quote Sammy, they're a bunch of wimps. Indeed. Um, what about your killer death of Night of the Comet? Stupid scientists getting blown up by a car. Fuck you guys. I just I just really like that moment of like our main scientist who's just been like a complete tool the entire time is so far gone that despite the fact that they can smell gasoline, he still turns the car on and blows them up because he's turned into a vampire and his need for blood has overtaken him. Fuck you, you're now a fireball. Yep, indeed. Um, I really have it out for these scientists. Apparently. So I'm going to go with uh, with Audrey, and it's not because of the way she dies. Oh. No, I'm saying the, the killer death isn't an insult, you know? It's just... It's just not that, that's such a tragic death, though. Well, it is. The reason I'm saying I like it is I just... Because it is tragic, you know? And, and it, it's the scene that makes you really grow to appreciate Audrey, you know? Yeah. That's the scene that makes you go from, like, if it's your first time seeing it... You go from, I hate this woman, to, oh, I actually love this woman. and Matt is speaking from experience, because that's literally what happened when we watched it. Yes, and that's pretty much exactly what you said. And But I just love, I just, you know, Mary Warnoff is a really good actress, and I just love the way she delivers the last lines, too, of, you know, telling Hector that he's cute, but then he's dressed in a Santa suit, and she just trails off with the line, Santa Claus. You know, like, <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way that she says it. It's just so elegant and sad and nice you know like i don't know i just really like that moment <laughs> it's a good death and also there's just not really a lot of great deaths in no, this movie. There's not. <laughs> uh all right so lastly what about your killer mvp of night of the comet so my killer mvp goes to the entire aesthetic of this movie because i'm obsessed like you're giving me a post-apocalyptic 
movie with neon pink uh neon pink skies and all this bright coloring and neon and all the costuming's amazing so it's just the overall look of this film makes me really happy in my soul I think it might be colorblind. I'm pretty sure the sky is orange, not pink. <laughs> it's it is orange at times, but it's also pink. Mm, okay. Um. Well, my color MVP is gonna go to Kelly Maroney, obviously, because uh, one, I love Kelly. She's great in this. She's great in Chopping Mall. She's great in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I just think she's a great actress. Um. But to me, Kelly is the heart and soul of this movie because even though. Regina, I would say, is technically our main hero, protagonist, mm-hmm. story, whatever. Uh, to me, the movie is really all about Samantha and yeah. just how, like, she she's just she's just like pure energy. You know, she carries the energy of the film. Uh, she's she's the humor of it, <laughs> um, and and she's just like, you know, I remember when the movie Kick Ass came out. And everyone was really obsessed with Hit Girl because here's this like little girl just whooping ass and taking names and uh-huh. you know dropping insults on people. To me, to me, Sam's just an early example of that kind of thing, you know, where it's like this this character that you normally wouldn't expect to just whoop so much ass, <laughs> uh, and that is Samantha, you know, this 16 year old teenage cheerleader who just is is beating up these mutants and and but she does it in a way too that like we were talking about before, isn't based around, like, a, a more masculine concept. She's totally female, you know? She's, she's like, knocking them down, and then she does a little curtsy and, like, ha-ha, and, like, I, runs away. And <laughs> Funny. I love that moment with them all, and I love just the image of her holding a machine gun in her neon blue and neon pink, like, pep squad uniform, and then having the line <laughs> after it jams of... Daddy would have gotten us Uzis. Yeah, I mean that—that's a really popular moment. That if you go on like Twitter or anything like that, that's a gif that's constantly used. I use that gif all the time because it's so awesome to see Kelly sitting there as a sixteen-year-old shooting an Uzi at a car. Um, but no, but it, she's she's my MVP. She, yep. To me, she is the life of this movie, um, and I really don't think it would be the same without her. So. Oh, definitely not. All right, but that's it for us on Night of the Comet. So. Uh, we're going to be moving into our Patreon stuff now, where we're going to be talking about our thoughts on the idea that this comet killed dinosaurs and what that means for it. And <laughs> and, uh, and we're also going to talk a little bit about why we think this film is set around Christmas and wh- how that kind of plays into it, which we didn't get to during the episode. Uh, so if you'd like to hear that, just go to patreon.com slash killahorrorcritic. For just a dollar a month, you get access to all of our additional bonus content. Uh, we also have stuff like uh, lists of new releases for the week, voting on episodes, bonus episodes, stuff like that. So if you'd like to support us there, that would be great. We could always really use more support. It's how we pay our writers and keep things going. But if you're just listening, we still thank you for that and glad that you're here with us. And I also want to give a shout out to our killer members, Ben Scouten, Martin Achetta, Mike, Michael Campbell, Seth Vermont, and Kelsey Lynn. Thank you so much for all you doing supporting us and for keeping us going. We really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us. Uh, next week we'll be on the film Hell Comes to Frogtown. Uh, oh, boy. Star- <laughs> starring Roddy Piper. Uh, you can also see in They Live, another great kind of pre-apocalypse movie. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And just happy 2021, everyone. It's gonna- yeah, happy new year. Yeah, happy new year. Uh, hopefully it's going well for you so far and hopefully <laughs> things will just get better and we'll have ultimately a better year than 2020. It's still going to be rough. still going to be yeah. 
some rough times ahead, but uh, but let's hope that things are better by the time we get to this point of the year next year. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for listening, and have a great night. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.